This podcast contains uncensored profanity and topics not intended for all audiences. This episode in particular is about poison, and we mention things like spiking drinks, death, and murder. So if you don't want to hear about that kind of thing, this is your opportunity to turn it off and enjoy the rest of your day undisturbed. But if you do want to learn how plants can kill you, then welcome, right this way, to Spellbound and Gagged. What's up, everyone? So happy to be here. I'm, I'm so excited about this show, too. You have kind of been my uh, consultant a little bit. I've kind of been bouncing some ideas around as I've been fleshing out the ideas for this podcast. So what better first uh, victim <laughs> than uh, the plant professor himself? You may know Vikram as the plant professor on Twitter, on TikTok, from your podcast, Planthropology, and also In the Grow. Introduce yourself a little bit for folks listening. Yeah, so uh, I am a longtime plant nerd. I am a horticulturist. I lecture at Texas Tech University. I run a greenhouse, host some podcasts, put my big goofy face all over the internet as often as possible. So uh, yeah, it's kind of all plants all the time, but I'm excited to talk about some of the like angrier ones <laughs> plants with a vendetta the, the, the spicy tomatoes <laughs> and a lot of your videos that you do uh, on tiktok are often debunking like plant hacks or calling out some of the misinformation that you see floating around on tiktok or wherever it is and so uh i should say that that doesn't necessarily make you the well actually guy of plants <laughs> but it doesn't not make me that <laughs> you're functionally the well actually i, I, pre- guy I pretty much am. and and like i i was thinking about that the other day and i was like is that like the brand i want and i think that ship is sailed like i think that's my brand and it's a little it's a late, little late. <laughs> but i will say i i I've kind of made some like unwritten rules for myself that I will happily dunk on like five minute crafts all day. Oh, all for day. sure. Anytime Easy and target. every time. Or even the creative explained guy who like, I think he only owns white t-shirts and he like <laughs> jumps in a frame and moves around a lot. Like I'll happily dunk on him all day. But like people tag me in like videos from smaller creators and stuff a lot, like a lot like every day. And my rule is kind of like, I'm not going to pick on like, unless it's something that's just like blatantly false and like going to be harmful or whatever. I kind of, I kind of, my rule is like, I'm not going to just like pick a person and like dunk on them all day, uh, except for a a few notable exceptions. Well, you want to punch up. Yeah. And my thought is like, if you've got, if you've got a platform with like millions and millions of followers and you're like selling books full of misinformation, I am happy to, make you look dumb as much as possible but like the person that was in there i i will say there have been a couple that people have tagged me in a bunch that was like i grew my pumpkin next to this watermelon and i got a weird hybrid i'm like it does it that's not that's not how that works but i try to like talk about the thing more than the person right but yeah i'm the well actually guy all that to say i have become (laughs) the well actually plant guy there's there's nobility in that though you can (laughs) embrace that i mean someone Someone's got to do Someone's it, right? Do it. Like there's, there's just so much dumb shit floating around so out much. there that like you need that you need an antidote to it. Someone has to carry the cross <laughs> of being the well actually guy, and unfortunately, heavy is the crown yep. that has fallen on your head. I know, I know, it is, it is a burden, 
And uh, it's funny because now I've I've made friends with a lot of like plant people on on TikTok, and every time I get tagged in like one of their videos, I'm always like, oh no, oh, oh no, am I getting? Oh no! And so a lot of times I just <laughs> I don't even respond to those. I like, oh, I you gotta look the other way. <laughs> yeah, I pretend to be like, oh, I've never seen a phone before. Like, how does the internet work? It's I'm oblivious. <laughs> That's so weird. I just didn't get all of those messages. That's so crazy how those... Lost in the mail. I don't know. But someone's got to do it. And so, you know, since you're a professor, the plant professor, and teach people about plants all the time, I figured, hey, why don't you come do it more? <laughs> you don't get enough of it in your day-to-day -day life. No, I I wouldn't want to get rusty. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I'm here to keep you on Appreciate your toes. Appreciate it. But today... We figured let's talk about poison and specifically poison that comes from plants um, because there are poisons that come from all sorts of different sources. There are poisons you can get from frogs, right? You can get like poison off the back of frogs. You can get a poison that comes from just like minerals in the earth, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, asbestos, right? That just like comes out oh, of yeah, the Oh yeah, and then we like put it on our popcorn <laughs> ceilings just for fun. I mean, we're just like, just rub it directly into my yeah. face. <laughs> but because I wanted to incorporate as much as your expertise as possible, we're talking about poison that comes from plants and some of the deadly poisonous plants and how they've popped up throughout history. So uh, just for like a quick little intro to what's your best of real for your favorite poisonous plants? You know, as I was like doing some research of this, there's there's some that are sort of in my head as, oh, this one's super poisonous. And some of mine that I had in my brain were right and some of them were wrong. And then there's a whole, oh, really? there's a whole lot more. There's so many and so many good ones to choose from. It's a wonder we survive. Uh, I think about that <laughs> a lot, Ellen. Like, <laughs> like someone had to figure this out, you know? Like there was a first guy that had to figure out what's poisonous and what's not, right? And and odds are good, first guy's not with us anymore. And so... <laughs> There's a lot of first guys that didn't make it. A lot it. of them. Like, Bill's out there eating berries, and his friends are taking notes. <laughs> He's like, Godspeed, my man. It's, it's your turn. <laughs> and that works uh, out. Eat the eat the spicy tomato, and then don't wake up again. And that's that's not great. So uh, that's gonna suck if that one guy just happens to have an allergy. <laughs> There's that's really like, funny. What if the actually. first guy like ate like a tomato or something and had an allergic reaction and died, and everyone's like, "Holy shit! Did you see what happened?" <laughs> like, tomatoes oh are poisonous. God. Oh no. Yeah, like. And then nobody thought to test that for a billion years. Yeah, yeah. Hi, it's me editing later. So I decided to look this up just out of curiosity. And guess what? According to a 2013 Smithsonian Magazine article titled, Why the Tomato Was Feared in Europe for More Than 200 Years by K. Annabelle Smith, the tomato was nicknamed the poison apple in Europe in the 1700s because wealthy people who ate them got sick and died afterwards. But it wasn't the tomato's fault. The Europeans were just eating them off of plates chock full of lead, which was absorbed by the acidity of the tomato and dying of lead poisoning. So yes, the tomato was unfairly maligned due to human error. All right, back to it. I wonder if there are, I'm sure there are things out there that like we don't eat because we, in fact, I know there's, there's a few that I encountered doing this, like that we think are super poisonous and really they're not. 
Really? And uh, like some of the nightshades, and actually one of the things on our list is belladonna. And I think that's one of the ones that, like when people think about poisonous plants, they think about things like belladonna and hemlock. Those are probably at the top of the list. The heavy hitters. The heavy hitters. and That's your MVP of poisonous plants. Yeah. But there are some night, like tomatoes are nightshades, peppers are nightshades, eggplants. And there's actually more out there that because we call them nightshade, we think are poisonous. And there's some of them that aren't, um, that we still call nightshade because they're in that same family. And then there's some that we can eat parts of, and there's some that we can't like. We eat potatoes, right? Then they are the everyone's favorite starch, but the the leaves and the stems and the fruits are poisonous. So like you can't eat anything on the above ground part of a of a potato. But we eat the tubers and we're like, yay, carbs, whatever. We're getting super granular with this. We're like, okay, this plant is fine, but only just the underground part. Just this tiny bit. And also like a lot of plants I know are like poisonous in certain contexts Mm -hmm. or like only like lilies for example like fine to have around but like i know there's a big thing around where like if you have a cat like do not keep lilies around a cat because if your cat like even just rubs up against the lilies it can it can be like extremely poisonous to your cat that and uh some other common house plants like uh, philodendrons are pretty toxic to dogs and cats and actually a lot of the very common house plants we keep around are like really not safe for your pets oh geez or your kids you'd think that'd be more like well known like they should come with like warning labels <laughs> oh i know they should and like you look at some of these plant markets and everyone's selling like a tiny cutting of a philodendron for two grand oh jeez. like oh no you're gonna Take it home and murder your cat with it. And also be out two grand. So uh, yeah. that's a lose-lose. Yeah, it is. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of them that are that way. And then there's some that are that go the other way that, you know, we can't eat, but some other mammals or, or birds are really into. And then like a lot of things with these, the, you know, the dose makes the poison. And that's right. a common thing. So a good example of that is uh, foxglove. Foxglove is a really pretty plant, has these bell-shaped flowers. It's a common landscape plant. Uh, it's uh, the, the scientific name is Digitalis purpurea. Oh, it's pretty. Oh, it's it's gorgeous. And they call it foxglove because the, the like if you look at it, they kind of look like little fox feet, the flowers do. Mm-hmm. I see it. I see it. And in small concentrations, we use, uh, there's, there's something in it called uh, Digitalis or Digitalin, which is used as a heart medication. It can actually fix like heart, heart arrhythmias and stuff like that. But in higher doses or with long-term use, it can actually like damage your heart and cause heart attacks and other stuff. So like for a lot of things, we found that, oh, if we use a little bit of this, it's good. But again, poor Bill, if we give Bill a little too much, you gotta say bye to Bill again. I know, I know. <laughs> Every like society should have just like one guy that they're like, oh, "This is our, <laughs> this is our test guy." <laughs> it's we like gotta... the it's like the Hunger Games. They have to, <laughs> except it's just this one dude that we try new stuff on. The... <laughs> like, oh boy, uh, I haven't seen this flower before. All right, go get him. <laughs> go get our test guy. Every time his phone rings, he just starts like sweating. He's like, "Oh, you got to be kidding Crap. me!" I think a lot of times that what people think of as like poisonous plants are 
plants that maybe like are that way to protect themselves mm-hmm. like maybe they're they're meant to be as like a deterrent like to something that might try to eat them is that typically like the case with why these poisons like why they develop these poisons or is it i guess what i'm asking is like what is it doing for the plant for them to be so incredibly toxic right some of it's incidental like it just it just happens that this this chemical that does something or the other in the plant happens to be toxic to some uh, animals, but usually it is a defense mechanism. It's an interesting concept because plants, especially flowering and fruiting plants, do want to be eaten, but they want to be mm-hmm. eaten like at the right growth stage. Like they want the fruit to be eaten and spread around, but only by certain things, right? So for example, there is a, a plant that grows across the U.S. called uh, Yopon Holly. It's got bright red berries around like in the fall and winter. It's really a pretty evergreen tree the berries are super like they're not going to kill you but they'll make you really sick the scientific name is ilex vomitoria oh (laughs) right in the name huh (laughs) the vomit holly uh and so mammals that eat it get super sick you'll throw up for like three or four days like they're not good but they're not toxic at all to birds and so they want birds to forage on it and spread those seed uh part of that is like the bird's digestive system isn't as harsh as like a mammal's. So the seeds aren't going to break down and they want it to be spread sort of farther away from the parent plant. And that's what birds do. They go and they fly somewhere else and they're like pooping constantly. And so they uh, spread the seed around. And so, you know, sometimes these defense mechanisms are there to kind of select for what they want to be spread by. Uh, And sometimes it's just like an insecticide. So caffeine, for example, is an insecticide. Oh, and it makes humans go fast. Yeah, it makes us go fast. It's funny because like they've done some tests on even like spiders and stuff where they treat them with different doses of caffeine and they'll start like spinning webs really strangely. It causes neurological problems in a lot of insects because the plant doesn't want the seeds to be eaten by different insects. And so like it in the leaves and in the, the coffee beans and whatever else. It's an insecticide, and it just happens to like be a like a stimulant for us. We're like, I can't get enough of this stuff. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, same as well. So I was gonna say nicotine. Nicotine's not good for us either, but it's an insecticide. Uh, capsaicic acid, so the the mm. the spicy stuff that makes pepper spicy, that's a pretty potent insecticide, and we just happen to be weird enough to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and that one's funny because it's something that is very well liked but only by like certain people and then there's a lot of people who like like for me for example like I really don't vibe with it at all. I'm like this is not fun. Why are you doing this? This is this hurts. Well, and it's like an allergic reaction. Yeah. And that's what it's doing. It's causing an allergic reaction and some people are just like, "Ooh, I'm I'm into this." These plants bite you back. Yeah, and from the plant's perspective, that has to be real confusing. It's like, oh, I have, <laughs> I'm gonna unleash absolute hell on whatever tries to eat me, and it's like, oh no, they like it. A weird apes are like, yeah, let's let's do more of that. <laughs> oh no, it's their kink. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> not, I'm not here to kink shame any apes, but you know, <laughs> we thought we were just freaky enough, but no, here you are coming back for more. <laughs> Oh. That's that's got to be like adding insult to injury, right? They're yeah. like, oh man, they love our defenses. This sucks. This is what else are we gonna do? Well, you what they ought to do is take the approach of some of these more like severe plants and just 
kill outright, right? Like the, yeah. what that's they're they're not going hard enough. I think it's just they're going for the discomfort and they need to be going for the kill. <laughs> they need to be trying to close that, like finish the job. Just just be a little bit more aggressive. You know, there's a there's a plant that grows around here and it's related to belladonna but it's not the same it is we call it silverleaf nightshade it's a it's a pretty common plant that's a beautiful name and it's a beautiful plant in all honesty uh silver leaf nightshade sounds like someone's deviant art original character <laughs> doesn't it it sounds it like so someone's does. like it sounds like someone's warrior cat oc yeah yeah, it absolutely does. <laughs> this is someone self-insert Lord of the Rings fan fiction character. Is, That's me, Silverleaf Nightshade. It's it's gonna be like a, probably a character in some like YA novel where they just use like a fantasy <laughs> name generator to come up with the names of the characters. It's just four cool words consecutively. <laughs> Silverleaf Nightshade. It's like just put them in a in a thing and shake it up and just whatever you pull out the. <laughs> um, but this plant is like nearly indestructible. Like I've been, we have some here at our, our greenhouse and it was under this little hoop house. And I went out there one day and took a thermometer in with me and it was 154 degrees in this little hoop house. Uh, that's like absurd, right? That's offensive. And this plant's happy. It's flowering. It's fruiting. Just totally happy. So what they're trying to do is cross it back. It's closely enough related that we can actually cross it with things like eggplant and tomato and a few other of our common crops, trying to get the like heat tolerance from it into these other crops. So like it's a way to deal with like climate change effects, right? Oh. If we have a tomato that can, or a pepper or whatever, they can keep fruiting in hotter temperatures. That's a good thing. But this plant's actually really poisonous. The fruit's very poisonous. And they just kind of keep making um, poisonous eggplants. Oh, no. That's the opposite. <laughs> That's We're going we the wrong way. Do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they still die in the heat, but they're poisonous now. We've got the worst of both worlds, actually. Yeah. yeah. Mistakes were made. We'll get there, probably. <laughs> just looking at their poisonous eggplants like, damn it. This, is, this wasn't it. This wasn't what I wanted at all. It's a, it's, a, it's a trick and not the good kind. You've taken a perfectly good eggplant and you've ruined it is what you've done. Pretty much. Pretty much. Has science gone too far? <laughs> or or are we just going to have to keep pushing through till we make like really, really deadly tomatoes or, or heat tolerant eggplants? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing. Invest in the poisonous eggplants and tomatoes. Use them for murder. There you there go. There you go. Yeah. That's all you got to do is pro, just pro, repurpose pro tip. them. Pro tip. Sell them to murderers. <laughs> That's all you need to do. A whole, a whole market economy stonks all of it stonks <laughs> that would be like a great episode of shark tank you go up to <laughs> fucking what's his name mark cuban or mark whatever cuban. and you're like hear me out listen <laughs> just listen <It's, laughs> i have something for killing people are you interested money please i would like a million dollars for a one percent stake in my company it actually says it on the box. This is for murder. Please do not eat. Do not consume. This is against the law. <laughs> or what if it says on the box, it's like poisonous eggplants, definitely not for murder with a little like winking dude Winky on face. it. Like, yeah. A little like totally not for murdering people. Finger guns. <laughs> it's like in sarcastic italics like in the it's like in the sarcastic like uppercase and lowercase font definitely not for murder but you mentioned that 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 nightshade was related to one of the plants that i really wanted to kind of zoom in on uh which is belladonna which i think has like a gorgeous name 
this is like such a such a perfect Halloween plant because it's sexy and scary, Mm -hmm. you know, like it has like a really beautiful sort of seductive name, but it's also like will kill you. So I think it's like the perfect sexy Halloween plant, I think. Yeah, instead of people dressing up as poison ivy this year, they could be sexy Belladonna. (laughs) Or both, and you can be married. Ooh. Poison ivy's wife, Belladonna. That's not bad, actually. That's a, a good couple's <laughs> costume for any of you out there. There you go. It's just, that's a free idea right there. Free cosplay <laughs> idea. But tell me about Belladonna. So Belladonna, the scientific name, Atropa Belladonna. And it's been used in everything from medicine to cosmetics to, to poisons and sort of everything in between. It is native to parts of Europe. So it has ties back to Greek mythology, uh, Norse mythology, a lot of different places. Uh, Linnaeus, everyone's favorite plant weirdo. Oh, not just for plants. He was a general all-purpose weirdo. All-purpose. Like, <laughs> doing a little... I just did an episode of Planthropology with Nat Saban, and she talked about him a lot, and I started looking into him more, and I was like, this dude was into some weird stuff. Like, <laughs> Linnaeus was aggressively not normal. <laughs> um, That's the tagline for the podcast aggressively not normal (laughs) Uh, (laughs) not normal and going to make it your problem yeah this is going to be everyone's problem for thousands (laughs) of years this man is still dealing psychic damage to me personally to this day well and all my students right because we make them memorize all these plant names and they're like i hate linnaeus a lasting legacy of hate yeah so he named this plant Belladonna, because that was his thing, uh, finding plants and naming them stuff, uh, which means uh, a beautiful woman in Italian. And it was used during the Renaissance as a cosmetic. So they would actually make like a juice out of these berries and drop it in their eyes because it causes your eyes to dilate. Probably nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, That's probably fine. Gotta be fine, right? It's gotta be (laughs) fine. But it's it's related to a lot of different plants. Again, it's in the, the Solanaceae family, so it's related to things like, like we've been talking about, peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, uh, some of our other nightshades that we have here that are far less toxic than this one. And so a lot of times people, especially in parts of the U.S., will say, oh, they'll call things nightshade, and they are... But they, they're they thinking belladonna, and it's maybe some of these others, like black nightshade, which is really not that poisonous, and a few others. And so uh, it's it's one that is confused with a lot of different plants. But the, the berries kind of look like, I don't know, little grapes or little uh, purple tomatoes or something. So sometimes they get eaten because they look appetizing, and then, uh-oh, Bill's dead again. Deceptively so, yeah. yeah. Isn't that diabolical, too, to be like, ooh, look how delicious and sweet looking this fruit is. Just kidding. You are died. You've been murdered. And, and they're all, Psych. <laughs> and the plants are all just like, haha, guys, what a funny joke. How come the apes aren't moving anymore? Oh, no. Uh, what have we done? We went too hard. You mentioned that women would uh, use drops of belladonna extract to dilate their pupils, which is surely completely harmless and (laughs) won't have any long lasting effects, which I got to say, like, as far as cosmetic trends go, that isn't even really the worst one there's been. (laughs) No, no. I got to say, that's like not the worst one. People go through some stuff to look good. Looking at you, Botox. (laughs) I mean, in the grand scheme of things. 
not the worst thing done in the name of beauty. But (laughs) when I was kind of doing some poking around for getting ready for this episode, and I found an incredible paper. It was titled Hexing Herbs in Ethnobotanical Perspective, a historical review of the uses of, and you might need to help me with the pronunciation on this, anticholinergenic... Have you heard this word before? Yes, that's how I would have said it. (laughs) That's absolutely correct. Um, Solanacea plants in Europe, and that was by Karsten Futur in 2020. And I kind of read through, it's just kind of a comprehensive review of like all these different uses of the belladonna plant throughout history, different ways that it's been referred to in culture and, and used all throughout time, all over the world. And... A lot of this was like, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, it's been used as like an anesthetic for preparing people for surgery, at just as like a kind of a general treatment. Because like you said, the dose makes the poison, mm-hmm. right? So like in a smaller dose, it can actually help treat some like some mild symptoms like asthma, right? It was used as like an asthma treatment. But the thing I found in this paper that I'd never heard of before and that absolutely floored me was that at noble banquets in Europe in the 1400s. So you already know they're up to something weird because they have a lot of money and (laughs) not exactly the ethical structures in place to know what to do with it. So Belladonna was, and this is a direct quote from the paper, sneaked into beverages and then the intoxicated person's odd behavior would be mocked by the others of the assembly. The individuals poisoned thusly were often then convinced that they were animals and behaved accordingly to the delight of those gathered. Delightful. So delusions and hallucinations are like a symptom of deadly nightshade poisoning. Mm -hmm. It's like a big part of it is that you have delusions and hallucinate things apparently for days on end. You can have hallucinations. Just totally ruins your brain. Yes. So they would sneak it into people's drinks so that those people would then have episodes where they think they're an animal and like act like an animal and they think it's terribly funny. So everyone's just like, the king's losing his mind laughing, right? He's like, <laughs> look at this fucking guy. <laughs> look and, at this dude we poisoned. And, nerd. And, <laughs> and now we have America's Funniest Videos hosted by Carlton from... Oh, it- same energy. Same energy. <laughs> we haven't come that far. We're just not actively poisoning people for, well, eh, eh. I mean, some of those prank YouTube videos get pretty close. Oh, I watch some of those. I'm like, how is this person not in prison? Like, yeah, straight I to really jail. Can't. <laughs> right to jail. Right away. <laughs> I really can't watch some of those videos because oh. I'm a little sensitive and I would be like, I would punch this person directly in the face oh yeah but like it kind of has that say like if people really haven't changed that much we like to pretend that like we used to be such horrible awful barbaric people hundreds of years ago but then you look at what we're doing now and you're like mm, is it really that different <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they were uh they were a prank beverage <laughs> that they would use at royal banquets But the other thing, I don't know if you included this in your notes, but the other thing I really want to talk about with Deadly Nightshade is its association with witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this, you know, kind of came from that same paper I talked about. So Deadly Nightshade is one of the components of something called flying ointments. Hmm. And flying ointments were a big part of the 
witchcraft scare, like during the European burning times of like the Middle Ages. What this was, was basically like, like a potion isn't, <laughs> potion <laughs> is such like a silly word yeah. for what it was, but it but... kind of was a potion, yeah. right? Um, it usually involved like a fatty component and then an extract from one of these like hallucinogenic plants. So deadly nightshade was one that they would often use. And the idea was that people who were practicing witchcraft would use these flying ointments. And they, you all you have to do is just rub it on your skin. Mm-hmm. And it would produce uh, sensations uh, like flying. Like it, it would give them hallucinations, basically. It would give them delusions and hallucinations. Some people said it would give them like euphoria, like euphoric feelings. And this is kind of where the idea of witches flying on brooms came from. Oh, um, interesting. There's kind of some debate as to whether it was meant as like literally flying. Like, was <laughs> if it may not have ever really been meant that they were actually literally physically lifting off of the ground, um, or if it was meant to be more metaphorical that like they were experiencing a high. Right, and that they felt like they were flying or floating hmm. because of the hallucinogenic effects of the plant, right? But an interesting thing that this said that this ointment would induce was a sensation like shape shifting, where people who used this ointment would report having experiences in which they shape shifted into an animal, which is very similar to the effects reported by um, the people who had been (laughs) accidentally poisoned at these royal banquets. So you see that's like very consistent with um, poisoning effects of the like middle ages, like shape-shifting into an animal seems to be like a consistent theme in like the symptoms associated with nightshade hallucinations. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And and, uh, from what I've seen too, they would like sleepwalk and do other things too and cause like, weird lucid dreams and all kinds of stuff so yeah it's it, it that stuff will mess you up and there's there's again related plants too like um there's one called datura uh it's a moonflower. it's a really really pretty flower that's in the same family that the the fruits will sometimes be smoked or ingested in different ways and then they you know cause hallucinations for a few days and most people don't die from it but it it'll mess you up a little bit Yeah, and, you know, I think it's also important to note in any sort of discussion of, like, hallucinogenic use and especially in its association with witchcraft is that, first of all, hallucinogenics have been used by people all over the world throughout history, Mm -hmm. right? Like, everybody (laughs) throughout all of history have used hallucinogenics in some way. But also, like, specifically when you're talking about, like, the, the witchcraft allegations that was usually just a stand-in for accusing women of doing something you didn't like oh yeah so a lot of times these like confessions by witches like they would they would say like oh yeah the witches confessed to using flying ointments but that's usually because they were being tortured yeah and demanded to confess to using flying ointments so then you it, it kind of muddies the waters right because then you're like okay well did did they really do that or did you just torture them into saying that they did right. that 
Um, and especially at the time, like Christianity was incredibly like had a huge hard on for like witches and devils and stuff like yeah. that. That was like their big thing. Um, so, you know, you got to kind of take some of that with a grain of salt. It's like, were people really using hallucinogenic ointments? Yeah, probably. Because wouldn't you, you know, like if you lived in such a miserable time in yeah. history, you got to You need something. You need an escape. So I don't fault anybody for using it. No, 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 no. And I think that that is something that I, I, I'm glad you brought up because when we look at some of these things in a historical context, we pass certain value judgments on these cultures for doing like cultural things that were very important. And and I, I don't necessarily mean like uh, Renaissance or European people poisoning their guests and laughing at them. That's not really what I mean. Uh, <laughs> no, don't don't do that. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. But like a lot of indigenous cultures all over the world have long-standing, very important, often closed traditions based around a lot of these plants. And so there's importance and cultural significance to all of this. Another plant that I definitely wanted to touch on because it has an important role in history was definitely hemlock. I think hemlock has some uh, has some notches on its belt for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. Hemlock's one that, you know, grows in a lot of different places. It, you know, it's called hemlock, poison hemlock, wild hemlock, a whole bunch of different things. It's cold hardy, so it will live, you know, pretty much anywhere. It's fine. Uh, anywhere you put it, it will spread and become invasive potentially. So there's another uh, one in the, the L column for it. This is a big plant. So something that's interesting is a lot of these poisonous plants are like related to carrots. I don't I don't oh. know. Uh, so this is What are you up to carrots? What are you planning? Awfully suspicious. Is carrots the little mastermind ringleader behind it all like orchestrating all of these crimes? I like to think they are. I like to think they are. Um, <laughs> Those cowards growing underground, <laughs> hiding. We don't know what they're up to. We can't see them. But this is really similar to like a wild carrot or it looks like a wild carrot. Uh, it grows big. It'll get like eight to 12 feet tall, has a big carrot like taproot, except pretty much everything is uh, poisonous. All parts of this plant. It's just all poison all the way down. All the way down. It's it's yeah, poison all the way down. I like that. <laughs> uh, they have these kind of like pretty white flowers clustered up like a carrot flower. And they again, cause a a lot of problems. A lot of times it's mistaken for Queen Anne's lace, which is a really common plant that is actually an edible wildflower. It's just one of those things you don't want to be wrong about. That's like a big reason I cannot get into like foraging for food or anything. I just don't trust myself when you get into the situation where, oh yeah, this super delicious and very edible and nutritious thing also looks exactly like this thing that will kill you immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't do it. Before you hit the ground? Yeah, no. <laughs> um, it is actually an important like forage and food source for some different uh, butterflies and moths. Similarly to how, you know, monarch caterpillars fill, uh, feed on milkweed and sort of uh, build up some toxicity so that they're less palatable or toxic to predators. Uh, some of these moths, like the ground carpet moth and a couple others, there's a hemlock moth, has have similar kind of things. And so it is pretty poisonous. It has different alkaloid toxins in it. So there, there are different ways to ingest it. If you eat it, obviously it's bad. Uh, it can be transferred through your skin. 
But also there is some evidence that if you're like livestock forage on it, it makes the meat or the milk or whatever else also poisonous. Oh, that's not good. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Yeah, not great. <laughs> Man, I you don't even eat the hemlock and you still get murked by it. Yep. Yep. It's like, hey, you like drinking milk. I'm going to get you that way. Have a, How about a... <laughs> you want to die about yeah. it? <laughs> it's like, I know you're enjoying your hamburger, but what if it was poisonous too? You think the other cows are just watching that person like chomping on their hamburger? They're like, <laughs> just you wait, you motherfucker. Soon. <laughs> it's like those memes where like you'd see like a family like at a barbecue and a cow just in the distance staring at them. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you like that? Yeah, I bet you do. Chewing on a hemlock flower. <laughs> Waiting. So, causes lots of problems. Well, you know who it caused a lot of problems for? <laughs> Who's that? Our boy Socrates. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. This is probably one of the most famous examples of a death by hemlock poisoning. And even though technically he kind of did it to himself, but it was under duress. So the story <laughs> behind Socrates getting KO'd by Hemlock is pretty interesting, actually. In 399 BCE in Athens, Greece, the philosopher Socrates, we all have at least probably heard of him, he was charged with impiety, which is a, a word that means denying the gods. Oh. Yeah, but it was a it was a dual charge. It was impiety and also corrupting the youth, which is fun. A fun thing to get charged for. Um, you are a bad influence. A bad influence. Well, the problem was, you know, that he was a, a teacher of philosophy, right? And so whenever he would spout off his philosophy, it would be to his students. And so he was perceived as being corrupting them. And the impiety thing was actually honestly true he for sure did that <laughs> because he was very you know he was super unconventional his whole deal was like questioning everything if you're even a little bit familiar with like socratic thought or the socratic method it is all about like answering questions with more questions so you're really encouraged to like question everything including like faith and beliefs and stuff this was often coupled with directly challenging the authority of the gods who <laughs> you know were kind of officially uh, recognized by the Athenian state at the time. So when you deny the gods, you're also denying the state. So the state did feel like, okay, well, let's go ahead and uh, put a stop to this. So he was kind of encouraging people to question their beliefs. He also did this thing that was a little weird at the time where he would refer to his own sort of like inner dialogue as though it is this like divine inner voice that he called a daemon, huh. like D-A-E. M-O-N, that was like guiding him through life. So he was like, everything that he did, he said he was like taking advice from this daemon that would like speak to him, which is a little interesting. Um, yeah. And it may have been, you know, just a metaphor for his own sort of internal dialogue in his head, but it was for sure not interpreted by the state that way. <laughs> it was. Yeah, they probably didn't love that. No, they were like, I wish you wouldn't, actually. Uh, so that was seen as like asserting this new god like that he was posing this daemon as a new god that was not an official god it wasn't canon this was like a fan made this was like a fan fiction god <laughs> that 
this was his deviant art OC that he was trying to pose as canon. Um, and they were like, no, actually not. Um, we're not going to be doing that. So he <laughs> defended himself in court. He was still found guilty because basically his whole deal was like, well, I'm just so much smarter than you guys that, you know, he was, he kind of ran some logical tricks around the prosecution, but um, he was, he was kind of the well actually guy of philosophy in Athens at the time. So it didn't go super well for him. He was also in- engaged in some political stuff at the time where he, people were already kind of against him at that point. So he got charged for impiety and corrupting the youth. And then at the time, the custom was for the defendant to propose their own punishment. Oh. So they could say what their punishment is going to be. But of course, then the jury and everyone has to be like, yeah, sounds good. So he suggested that the most fitting punishment for him would to be housed and fed for free at the Pritanium, <laughs> which is like their like sacred housing, basically. So like he was posing himself as like a benefactor of Athens, like basically like, well, you're all welcome. Like, you should actually all be thanking me, and I think that my punishment should be you housing and feeding me in luxury for the rest of my life. And I mean, shoot your shot, right? Honestly, that is a bold move that did not pay off for him at all, because <laughs> the jury, they did not love his super funny joke. That was a tough crowd, and they were like, I don't think we're going to be doing that. So then the prosecutor was like, well, how about death? And they were like, yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you know, you're going to pick one end of the spectrum or the other. It's like, I'm going to be happy forever, or we're just gonna make you not we're just gonna make you dead yeah they were like well since you're gonna be a smart ass about it (laughs) (laughs) like i have to imagine that if he hadn't been a dick about it they may have let him off with like a fine but he was like no actually you should host me for free at the protanium (laughs) and they were like fuck this guy yeah get him out of here you people should be thanking me (laughs) Yeah, they were like, um, I don't think so. Uh, So at this point, he could have fled Athens and just left. But he stayed, he faced his punishment. It was like as an act of civic obedience, which was like a big part of his teachings, I suppose. So he he did stay behind and see the see the death penalty through. Um, His sentence was to drink hemlock tea. So he made a tea out of hemlock, which he did. And Plato, there were a bunch of people around him. There's like a very famous painting of his sort of Mm -hmm. final hours where, you know, he's got some of his more famous students and people around him, including Plato. Um, So Plato did write a a dialogue called Phaedo, Mm -hmm. P-H-A-E-D-O. And it recounts the final hours of Socrates' life as he's dying from the hemlock poisoning, which is notably lucid, like a little suspiciously lucid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, it's very prosaic and it's all these meditations on the nature of life and the soul and all things that somebody dying of poisoning might not be saying. (laughs) Well, you know, what's interesting about the way that this toxin works is it does make people like start hallucinating and then they just slowly start to like go to sleep. It has like narcotic like effects for 30 minutes for a while. And then Mm -hmm. uh, after a while, they just sort of like it can be more severe than that. But a lot of times they just sort of like drift off. And like it's kind of like you ever have that drunk friend that's rambling as they start to pass out on the couch? No, I am that friend. I don't have that (laughs) friend. It's me. 
<laughs> it's like it's like that. So you know, uh, Socrates was was pulling an Ellen at the end there, and then <laughs> and then just never wakes up. A lot of discussion of this involves people trying to debate to what extent this was romanticized, because Plato does kind of uh, gloss over some of the less glamorous effects of poison yeah <laughs> such as uh convulsions vomiting and diarrhea so you have to imagine that socrates was like pontificating at length about the nature of the soul and life in the universe while also shitting his ass <laughs> all over the place <laughs> <laughs> i guess you know plato's like well I oh, maybe, maybe I'll, let's <laughs> maybe i won't write that down just you can see him as it's happening he just slowly starts crossing some lines out like you know i don't think that needs to be in there scribbling notes and just like mm, maybe not he's looking around at the other dudes like i don't know right i shouldn't right i'm not gonna write that one down right yeah maybe let's let him have this one <laughs> so uh yeah that's the death of socrates um he did die by hemlock poisoning which you know he he administered to himself it was given to him and he drank it um, as his sentence for impiety. You know, that's, uh, I, I guess if you gotta go, maybe go out like you lived, just just spouting. Partying? Partying, <laughs> and just like being a pretentious asshole, like all the way to the end. <laughs> I, it just, it kills me that he was literally like staring death in the face and he still wanted to get one final fuck you guys in. Yeah. Yeah, um, the worst. Yeah, we've we all know that guy. We've all got that friend. <laughs> well, Vikram, as we're kind of coming up on time here for today, uh, I'd love to close out it by you letting our friends listening know where they can find you. Where can folks follow you on social media and listen to your podcast? I am all over the place, for better or worse. I'm, you know, chronically online. They, oh yeah, and there's days that I'm like, what if I just like deleted all of this and no one ever heard like just wander off into the woods. Uh, what if you just throw your phone into a swamp? Like you sh- 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 return from whence you came. Uh, <laughs> Back to hell where you belong. <laughs> Throwing it into a volcano. There's, <laughs> oh man. No, I would be uh, like someone would have to, I, I'd be Gollum like biting Frodo's finger off to keep my phone from going into the. Uh, and I- and I know it's so problematic, but I also, it's just, it's part of my body now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's its just, it's melded in, into my skin. I feel like my fingers are getting crooked from holding my phone weird. Uh, no, <laughs> I can, uh, uh, you can find me all over the place. I'm the plant prof on uh, TikTok. Um, Twitter and Instagram, and then you can find my podcast, Planthropology, all the places as well. I kind of just run my TikTok as sort of podcast plus whatever other nonsense I'm talking about. I'm also uh, starting to get into YouTube a little more, so I'm the plant prof on YouTube as well. And That's fun. Right now, uh, most of what I have on there is, you know, similar content to what you'll find on like Instagram and TikTok. But uh, if you want to follow me there, I'm working on over the next year or so, really developing some longer form sort of stuff. So it'll change, and that'll be places where I can maybe go into a little more depth on. It's like some of the plants we're talking about today and then do like plant tips and like practices and, and stuff like that. I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but as a long time, what, what do I want to call it? Like YouTube lurker. I'm, mm. try, I'm trying to like develop some content for it. I don't know why. Just the next thing, I guess. I cannot wait to see those clickbait thumbnail uh, faces. That's like, oh, yeah, you cheesing it for the camera. It's like 
my plant did what? <laughs> While you're looking this up, mash that subscribe button. Mm. Like and subscribe. Uh, hey, guys, smash that bell. <laughs> Make sure you get the updates. Make sure you sign up for notifications. And uh, by the way, before we get to the video, here's a 20-minute unskippable ad. Yeah, li- links to my merch below. <laughs> well, I'm giving you a hard time, but you know I'm going to be there. Like, uh, Oh, yeah. You know that's going to be me cyberbullying you in the comments. <laughs> oh, by the way, one of the reasons I think I've hesitated to get into YouTube for so long is like any YouTube comment section is like one of the lower circles of hell. <laughs> like like Twitter could never. It's It's bizarre. It is as though it is populated entirely by like bears like I just don't rabid know, bears i don't know how I, it's it's unfathomable i've never in my life seen a youtube comment section with any coherency whatsoever oh no it's like think of all the worst people you went to high school with that's where they live now <laughs> that's them if they could fucking read <laughs> these kids would be very upset if they could read <laughs> You're right. It's so I I commend you for launching yourself into that sphere. The abyss, yeah. <laughs> into that abyss, yes. Maybe just go ahead and preemptively disable all your comments. I'm just never going to read them all. Just just for my <laughs> own mental not, health. I'm just not doing that. No comments will be accepted at this time. I am sorry. No. no. <laughs> well, Vikram, I appreciate you so much. It was nice to talk to you as it always is. I didn't mention at the beginning that, you know, we've spoken before, but people will figure it out, I'm sure. Yeah, they'll get through. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Well, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. It was. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with an episode with Ashley where I tell you all about the haunting future of nuclear waste. Follow us on social media to keep up with the show as we grow and let us know what you thought by leaving us a good review on your podcatcher. Our theme music is Snake Oil by Doug Organ. If you made it this far, here's a palate cleanser. Actor Wayne Allwine, who performed the iconic voice of Mickey Mouse from 1977 to 2009, and Rusie Taylor, the iconic voice of Minnie Mouse from 1986 to 2019, were married in real life. They kept knowledge of their marriage private for nearly a decade because in Wayne's words, quote, it wasn't Mickey and Minnie, it was Wayne and Rusie. We wanted to keep it about us and not about the characters. They remained married until Wayne's passing in 2009, and when Rusi passed away 10 years later, they were buried side by side. Until next time, I'm Ellen Weatherford. Thanks, bye!